Hi, this is Steve Addison, and this is episode 182 of the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today, we're in Houston talking to Don Waybright about how one mega church is fueling movements around the world and in the U.S. prison system. More and more beautiful as you see the Holy Spirit work. I mean, just it is a bride of Christ. It is a church, and He is using it as an instrument of movement. So, uh, you know, it's frustrating at times on staff dealing with all the munitia and all the mega churches keeping that machine operating. But at the same time, to see it as a catalyst for movement is one of the greatest, satisfying, you know, just uh, a sense of just God's beauty. I just love it. And so, you know, just a quick update is that, you know, we continued in the mission field, both locally and globally, employing these uh, four field principles of movement uh, and seeing great success, seeing great fruit and being part of the No Place Left initiatives in different places and and even being able to catalyze some of these movements in recent years uh, and from Bogota to see the, the movement in Delhi and, and such, and then I'll, I'll speak to a movement that has spread in uh, in the prisons here in Texas as a result as well. But just seeing the the body of Christ, you know, the and uh, a house a housewife or a lawyer or a heart surgeon or you know ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and they're entering into God's activity, and they're following these simple processes, and they got this posture of abiding in the spirit and just seeing the extraordinary take place in their lives. And then them coming back and, and telling that story. And it's just contagious just internally, just our, our training. We've been doing a gospel conversation training, uh, which would be basically fields one and two, you know, basically we use a three circles gospel presentation and the identity and the Oikos map and relationship map and, We've developed a swarm team that's about 30, 40 people, and also a Spanish swarm team that's uh, about 15. And we, you know, they're training inside the church all the time. We've trained 1,500 people in gospel conversation training uh, since 2015, since we last talked. So some of these people, we get to let them go to Bogota, and they launch out No Place Left Bogota. And they get to, you know, our swarm team, our Spanish swarm team, you know, a plumber and a, a housewife. They're catalyzing movements and they're going in, training up a catalytic team in the, in the city of Bogota that now we're working with them to uh, impact the Venezuelan refugee crisis. And about four different streams of leadership that are taking place in Bogota just from the training in the past six months. They've seen about 30 to 40 churches form. Uh, they've done training in different cities throughout Bogota. So now there's they own now these other launches of like no place left launches in other cities from Cartagena to Medellin to uh, Barranquilla. And they uh, are engaging the Venezuelan refugees, which is you got about 1 million Venezuelan refugees that have moved into Colombia. So they're training them up, training up leaders there and, and catalyzing movement within uh, those you know communities that have formed as a result of that. Uh, migration, but we just know that it's a gospel-centered culture. People are talking about the gospel, and it, 
we, when we're looking at programming in the church, it's it's gospel centered from children's ministry, youth to adult ministry. Uh, and then uh, even today, I, I mentioned to you our, in our senior staff meeting that the pastor stated he wants a complete integration of these principles throughout the body life of the church. Such that it's, it, it comes a virus. He wants it to be simple reproducible and transferable you know, and he wants to you know these gospel tools they're they're part of uh, a lot of times sunday morning programming you'll see them in the children's ministry they'll present them in, in creative ways the three circles and and uh so now what we have not seen is that i'm aware of is multi-generational disciple making as a result of it but i do feel that there's a well-equipped gospel-centered culture, and we hear those stories all the time of people, you know, sharing a culture, uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, even in their small groups, uh, they're celebrating these gospel moments of how they've interacted with neighbors or or colleagues in the workplace and school campuses and such like that. So we're we're hearing those type of stories all the time, yeah. and we're seeing an intentionality. The the thing that we're really seeing, I, I could say, is the intentionality of building relationships in our neighborhoods, in our in our workplace and such with those that are far from God. Tell us about what's happening in India. Yeah. We've been fortunate to be able to participate in the movement that took place in Delhi, and that's really where uh, we, we learned these principles from the IMB North Cluster and such, and, and a lot of these practitioners, and we just saw movement there and got to be part of that. And and once uh, the local ownership started taking ownership of that vision, the, the national leadership there, they took ownership of the vision of Delhi. They asked us to move on to another city and replicate it. So we moved on to Mumbai. So as we entered into Mumbai, working with partners and such with the same principles and all, we uh, entered into this uh, red light district of Mumbai and there was this fledging ministry that was making these little trinkets trying to sell them trying to create some type of economic uh, opportunity for these women to get out of the sex trafficking and they asked for our help and so some of our ladies that were on that gospel team there in Mumbai came back just happened to be uh, one of them was uh, an engineer and owns a Sugarland sewing school and and they created these simple little bags, simple little patterns that these women can produce, but they're modeled after high fashion bags that sell very well in the United States. So we birthed this, this uh, social enterprise called Hilltop of Hope, selling these bags in the U.S. that are being made there in Mumbai and also in, in Nepal, Kathmandu. We sold in in about six months, we sold over $100,000 worth of these bags. And what we've done is trained up. Now we're training up these women in the red light district that have been rescued and have a new way of living, new way of, of loving. We've trained them up to go back in and rescue others. And so we've seen 33 women baptized out of the, out of the Mumbai red light district. And there's a, a new missiological term now described for them. RBBs, red light background believers. <laughs> wow. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Well, tell us a bit about the work in prisons, Don. Um, how did that begin and where 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 has it gone? Yeah, in the prisons uh, here in Texas, it's a, a it's the largest prison system in the country. 
there's a prison that's nearest called Darrington Maximum Security Prison. And they incorporated a model that took place in the state of Louisiana at Angola Penitentiary, where they embed a seminary into the prison. So Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary had in about 2013 embedded this Bible college. It's a four-year Bible college into the Darrington Maximum Security Prison. And our church helped sponsor that. So we had special, you know, we were there to the ground floor and had opportunity to be involved in that. To be, for a prisoner to be in this program, this four-year Bible college program, um, they have to have a, a sentence of 25 years to life. So the idea is that, yeah, so the idea is that you graduate after four years, It's you get a back bachelor's degree, it's a, a, a bachelor's degree in, in Bible or theology like that, but they got to take English and science and math and all that stuff on top of the Bible courses. And then when they graduate, they get a special status called field minister, and they get deployed to other prisons throughout the state, and they get a certain special privilege there to work with the warden and the chaplain's office in order to really be almost like grief counseling and, and add value to the chaplaincy program there in prisons. So I was able to, because of our special status with uh, that seminary, I was able to come in and, and train on these multiplication principles with those students that wanted to uh, you know take that training. So that started in about 2013, and the first few times I was training there, they they were very inquisitive and they challenged a lot of stuff. So it really forced us to get into, you know, where are these principles derived from Scripture? Where does it come out of the Word of God? And and soon they started applying it and started seeing some fruit. So they started getting more excited. So I started training more systematically on these basically these four field principles and principles of multiplication. The first graduating class was June of 215. Four guys from that graduating class got, got transferred to Cofield Prison in Palestine, Texas. It's in East Texas, largest prison in the state, about 4,800 inmates. When they arrived, because of their special status as field ministers, they were allowed to you know, incorporate any type of program they wanted. And so they, they surveyed the land and uh, they saw that there was only about four different types of, there's four Bible studies going on, you know, something like purpose driven church or something like that. And so they started training right away in these four field principles. And they're doing this in a chaplain, you know, chaplaincy program in the chapel, which has all types of program type of, you know, Christian, even Muslim, even, you know, various types of training going on all the time. And that's in every prison in the country, that type of stuff takes place. So they, they started training in there pretty broadly and they got kicked out. The, the Christians opposed them. Okay. So they got kicked out of the, out of the chapel, out of the chaplain's program. And they just started incorporating these principles throughout general population in day rooms. And they just started seeing fruit, started yeah. seeing fruit. And, and, very soon, within a few months, they were invited back in to the chapel. And they started their own residency program. I showed up one year after they arrived there 
and I did some some kind of some advanced training and to, with about a hundred men, a hundred leaders that they had um, there as part of the multiplication ministry there at Cofield. And they cast vision that day for no place left Cofield. So they incorporated this uh, residency program that's 12 weeks long. They have about three or four cycles a year of this 12 week residency program. And they break it up into different levels, uh, five different levels to match the levels of leadership of multiplication that you may have seen from Nathan mm -hmm. Shanks or Jeff Sundell. At the first level of, of this training, it's basically the commands of Christ. Right now, they've got, it's matured so much, they've got um, about 150 inmates just in that level one. And they fill up that, they fill up that uh, chapel with about 225 students. So most of them are in level one at the moment, and there's a queue for people coming through level what one. What happens is I'll, I'll show up about the, the fifth or sixth week of this residency. When they get to the baptism lesson, the week after the baptism lesson of the commands of Christ, and I'll walk in there and they'll baptize 50 to 70 guys. And they'll baptize. It's incredible. They got these Aryan nation guys that they're white supremacists that are getting baptized by African-American brothers. Oh I mean, wow. I mean, and they just come up out of the water, just hugging each other. Yeah. Uh, you've got these guys that have left the Mexican mafia, which is a death sentence mm -hmm. to, to leave that, that gang. And they're, when they know they get, when they get up out of that water, they know they're going to get beat up or they're going to, their lives are threatened. And so it's, it's really costly on that. And this is all the time. Every cycle of that training, we're seeing that. They now have 225 groups throughout the, that prison that function as church that meet on a, a weekly basis. Now they can't call them church because you're not allowed to say that in the Texas prison system. But that's how they function. They, they use the healthy church mapping and all that. And so they've created this whole residency program to keep it sustainable, even if there's a shift in leadership, transitions in leaders getting moved from one prison to another, even if there's a shift in the warden or the chaplain uh, with their leadership. So mm -hmm. they've created their own sustainable movement there that's really caught fire you know, people have heard about it throughout the Texas prison system. A lot of inmates want to get transferred there just to be part of it. I'll come back to Darrington, where the Bible college is at. Now, we haven't seen this quite a movement there because these guys that are, you know, have trained there at Darrington, they're in that Bible program. This saturates them, man. I mean, it just consumes their time. Hmm. And so, but they have created a movement in solitary confinement. They get special access, they call it tear walking, to go into solitary confinement and share the gospel and start making disciples. And these guys, you know, they're in a little five by seven cell in 23 hours a day, yet they're, they're doing like three thirds discipleship groups. They're shouting from one cell to another. Guys in between are coming to Christ as they're listening to it. Well, let me tell you this story. We get to show up because of solitary confinement, the warden will not let the inmates do baptisms. Mm -hmm. But we get to show up and baptize the guys in solitary confinement. It's the only prison in Texas system where they're allowing this. It's the warden's allowing us. So we got we bring in a little portable 
baptismal. And, uh, and we'll ba- start baptizing these guys. They bring down one inmate at a time. They're all shackled up. Yeah. And, and once again, they, they've got to make a commitment to leave the gangs. And some of them, that commitment, it means that, you know, to renounce that gang and make their commitment to Jesus and step into that baptismal water might cost them their life. They know that. And so let me tell you a story of Jesus. Jesus, I had the privilege of baptizing him. He's been in solitary confinement for 18 years. Mm. Uh, the day I baptized him, he's been in there for 18 years. A five by seven cement cell. Uh, it's a steel door. Has The only ambient light is a little, little window in that steel door that shows ambient light from the hallway. It's not even outside light. He doesn't even get to go outdoors. When he gets his one hour of exercise, it's just in that area where we're baptizing that. That's all caged up. He's been in that setting for 23 hours a day for the past 18 years. It's a darkness within a darkness. When he walks into where we're being, we're going to baptize him. It's the first time he's seen color in a long time because all the inmates wear white, all, this, all the guards wear gray, and his cell is a gray color. That's all he's ever seen. So when he walks in there and just sees various colors, he's blown away. When, when we touch him, he's blown away because he has no physical touch from a human in, in 18 years. Mm. But when he steps into that baptism water and he, he comes up out of that water, you should see the joy on his face. It was exuberant. You could see the light and the life and the fullness that he had. I mean, he was celebrating the fullness of life coming from darkness into the light. Yeah. Wow. This is uh, amazing, Don, to, to hear what God's doing. And is it spilling out? I'm, I'm thinking of two possibilities, spilling out to... Uh, the relational network of the prisoners outside the prison? Is it spilling over into other prisons? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the, the challenge is the culture of prisons. Um, there's, you know, security systems. Uh, you're not allowed to, to create churches. You're not allowed to even have leadership structures. Mm-hmm. And so, What's unique about the, what's taking place in Texas is the special status that these guys get because they come out of that Bible college. But what happens is when they get deployed, these four-person teams, they're not all apostles. Some of them are just, you know, they just want to do grief counseling or, you know, they want to preach a message in a chapel on Sunday, you know. And so they don't have, they're not these apostolic, uh, you know, these apes. Yeah. And so, you know, we're working on that now where we're, we're deploying balanced teams. And I'm actually going to become an adjunct professor in the Bible college and start teaching these principles and, and equipping these guys. So we are sending out apostolic teams on everyone that's going in every prison. So we, we have seen some of that traction in other prisons, but it is challenged because of the status that prisoners are allowed to have. You know, so it's has some limitations on it. Um, But we are seeing it spread in their family relationships. 
Um, let me tell you a story about uh, some of the training about an Oikos map. You know, you know the Oikos map, your relationship map, right? This mm. common tool that we use in the uh, in these multiplication principles. So we're training this, at, and we challenge you guys. You know, for eight weeks, just pray every day for your Oikos map. Well, this man had seven people on his Oikos map. Three of them were inmates. The other four, one was his son that he hadn't seen in 15 years because he's been in prison for 15 years. And his grandchildren that he hadn't seen from that son that he hadn't even seen them because mm. they've got a broken relationship now because of whatever's taking place of him being in prison. Okay, the a, a third one on his Oikos map was his brother who he's got a, a broken relationship with and he hadn't seen in 15 years. A fourth one was a childhood friend that he had no communication with in 20 years. He'd been praying for him every day. After one week, he got a handwritten letter from his son. His, it, and it came to him in the prison. It said, Dad, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. And it's changed me. And I've been baptized. And I've bat my, my children, your grandchildren, they've given their life to Jesus. And they've all been baptized, too. Dad, we want you to know this hope in Jesus Christ. That was after one week of praying. He never shared with them. Yeah. The next week, his brother, his brother sends him the same type of handwritten letter. Why? His brother says, I've come to know Jesus Christ, giving my life to him. My brother, I want you to know this hope in Jesus. Mm. About two weeks later, that childhood friend that he has had no contact with in 20 years, sent him a letter, handwritten letter into that prison, telling him the same story. Mm. I mean, this is the, the yeah. work of the spirit. Mm. Mm. Wow. This just warms your heart to hear. Uh, I just want you to keep telling stories. But <laughs> I saw those letters too. So I saw the letters. I can validate that story. Yeah. Yeah. So, Don, what are you learning about what, from what God is doing in the prison system? What, what's it teaching you? What's he showing you? Well, I, I think the whole key thing is uh, the principles work, the posture works. I mean, release control, release control and, uh, and let them have it. Trust the Holy Spirit to it. I mean, the Holy Spirit's the one that, you know, took these guys up at Cofield, they had apostolic gifts, they've been training these tools, and they applied it, and they had to, they had to persevere through uh, suffering. Uh, you know, they got kicked out of the, the chaplain's program, but they kept, they were faithful, and they continued to produce fruit of obedience, and they started forming this. They started, they kept it simple and reproducible and transferable, and that's the language that they use. And they can own this. So I think the biggest thing was for me to step out of the way and release them and let them have it. And, you know, it, it, it took place. Mm, okay. And no, I just come back in and just come in and they run a program in the chapel for the prisoners. But you had to learn how to train and release and encourage them to do the ministry. Yeah. And even, you know, the same thing at Darrington, one of the challenges, you know, Darrington's where the Bible college is at. They're so used to bringing in programmatic solutions. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that they're they're learning in seminary, they're trying to apply those things. And it just it was too complicated. It wouldn't multiply. And there was no fruit of obedience. And uh, once now they're seeing a they're seeing what's taking place at Cofield. Now they're, they're, they're changing their approach and they're coming in with the simple gospel, these simple tools, abiding in Christ and the fruit of obedience and keeping it simple. And, you know, I'm not going in there training every week. I only come in, you know, once every six months and talk vision with them and, and, you know, kind of answer any questions they have and look at, you know, challenges to multiplication, but, I'm not in there every week now or every month, you know, training on these principles. I let them become the trainers. So, Don, where's, where's this going, do you think? What, what are you trusting the Lord for in, in the prison system? Well, for instance, like I said, I'm encouraged by the fact that it looks like we're getting some traction to be able to deploy balanced teams throughout the prison system that are coming out of this Bible college this field minister role, they'll be balanced with, you know, that the ape, the apostle prophet evangelist gifting, as well as a pastor teacher gifting. And so we'll be able to move that into prisons throughout the system. And they'll have that special access uh, to where they will be able to, you know, use these tools and have the freedom to do that. Also, we've seen some shifts in the leadership because this is getting, the Bible college has big visibility throughout the Texas prison system and also the Texas political system. The Lieutenant governor and a lot of uh, government officials are big advocates of it. And so we've just seen some recent traction where some of the, the guy at Cofield, the, the, the chaplain at Cofield, where we've seen this movement break out is now over all field ministers for the entire Texas prison system. That just took place. Mm-hmm. And he's a big four fields advocate and sees the fruit of this multiplication. So we're just seeing God position as saying to start now breaking out as we've, as we've, you know, gone on this learning journey and seeing the fruits of that movement at Cofield, we now see some principles that we can now deploy throughout the entire Texas prison system. And as well, they're looking to copy this model and some other prison systems around the country. I know, for instance, in North Carolina and Wisconsin, uh, their prison systems are wanting this uh, Bible college type of field minister role. And we'll be able to go in with some other no place left movements in those states to you know, kind of replicate what's taking place in Texas. So the formal um, college approach is something that a government system understands, but it's enabled you to come in in partnership with that and to build off that as a platform. So imagine, you know, look, if I was in prison, I'd want to be in that college. I'm that sort of guy. So it's it's playing an important role, uh, but it also means that this more uh, grassroots sort of movement that is is prisoner-driven um, has some credibility and some acceptance. It's, it's opened a door. Yeah. Yeah, we had, I'll give you a, an example, was that Cofield, out of that movement, one of the great leaders that, I, that was in that movement, he's in for life, he's in for life, no chance of parole. 
He got transferred to another prison called Beto and tried to, without the field minister status, tried to deploy these these tools there and had just, you know, just limited uh, fruit from it just because of all the security structures and transitions and things like that. You're just not allowed to do some stuff like that when you're just a normal prisoner. But now we just got them transferred, put into this four-year program. Well, we had to take them out of the harvest at this one prison, but put them into this four-year program where he's going to get in this Bible college for four years. Now he's going to get, when he graduates out of there, he's going to have the field minister status. And he's going to be a missionary for the rest of his life in the Texas prison system, driving these multiplication principles that he's, mm. that he's already a great leader in and a practitioner of. Mm. Well, Don, there's a million people in the U.S. prison system right now. It's, uh, it's a man. I, I guess um, related to that are probably tens of millions of people whose, whose father or brother or, yeah. um, you know, daughter is in a U.S. prison. Um, and then if we took this a bit further <laughs> globally, I'd imagine there's tens of millions of people around the world mm. in prisons. And so this is a wonderful story of, uh, of the gospel breaking out in unexpected yeah. places. Well, well, some of the guys at Cofield, they're already would be classified. They're already multiplication leaders, and we would call them level three type level, you know, leaders possibly. They've got some multiplication of groups there in Cofield. But they're, they're going to be paroled, and they, they have a great chance of getting out of, of prison within a, a couple of years. They are hungry. They already know that uh, they need to move to kind of like a level four with multiple networks of multiplying leaders in a prison. They're already, you know, developing that skills and that the obedience towards that. And they are already hungry to join these no place left teams in Dallas, in San Antonio, in Tyler, Texas. Mm. And so we're already connecting them and letting them have communication and dialogue with those no place left teams that are in the free world. That these guys that have already been trained in multiplication in the prison will come out and be catalysts for these, these free world teams. Well, I've got a feeling too, uh, maybe a prophetic stirring that some of them are going to go to the ends of the earth. Well, if you've enjoyed uh, episode 182 of the Movements Podcast, why don't you spread the word on social media or leave a review? I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.